Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome back to Steven Selects, our deep dive look into some fan favorite pivotal episodes of Steven Universe. I'm Mackenzie Atwood and we're going behind the scenes of I Am My Mom. Very nice meeting you all and your compliance is appreciated, but our job here is done, so... So Steven Universe writers Ben Levin and Matt Burnett are here again. Thank you guys so much for coming back and talking to me. Uh, hey, uh, thanks for uh, having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. So so to kick it off, the classic question is just like, how did this one change from conception to the final product? Well, I think that <laughs> there are several things that changed. Um, you know, we wanted this to be an episode where, you know, Stephen is pushed to the brink and, and he's his guilt is just weighing on him from so many other episodes and specifically when he finds out he might be the cause of this. And uh so he decides he's going to, you know, take a stand and, and just give himself up. If it weren't for me, the diamonds wouldn't have come for my friends. But we also wanted this to be a sort of breaking point for Lars and Sadie building up to this. You know, Lars and Sadie seemed to be getting along better. And there was this potluck that, you know, they almost went to together. But then Lars just backed out at the last moment. And we wanted at the height of this action to have, uh, I think originally there was a bigger interaction between Lars and Sadie when they're on the ship. In the episode as is... You know, Lars is frightened and, and Sadie's just calling out for help and and he just doesn't know what to do and he, he runs. Like, mm-hmm. you think he's going to act and then he just runs away and you're just like, Lars, you're never going to learn. Uh, <laughs> but originally in the outline, um, we had talked about really Lars kind of pouring his heart out to Sadie about his feelings and, you know, even like his, even though he ultimately in the in the outline, he doesn't stick around he's he's pouring out his feelings being like oh i wanted to do this and that and it's supposed to be an even bigger fake out that yeah. like this is large right. i've like, changed i'm i'm sorry i'll i'll be better and then like help me nah. <laughs> it's like in the outline there's literally the line like i'll never abandon you again and then it's like <laughs> lars runs away there's so many like almosts yeah yeah it was a much harder uh sell but uh you know i it was like we were going to wind up getting him there anyways in an episode or two. So it was like, eh, it felt kind of strange to do it there. And it also, like, I know that stuff was cut from the outline. And then even at Storyboard, there was still some of that there where Sadie is, like, so happy to see him again. And, like, oh, I get it. You you didn't bail on the potluck. You didn't abandon me. It was that you were kidnapped. And then mm. he was like, oh, well, I... I did bail on the potluck. It was after that that I got abducted. <laughs> so she's like, ugh, kind of disappointed. And she was initially like, I think we were wondering how to play her, if she would be frustrated or disappointed in him. But I think that in that moment, it was kind of like they're focused on being abducted and being scared. And for them to get into <laughs> kind of petty personal drama there also felt like kind of like they're just ignoring the reality of the episode around them for the sake of us kind of cramming it in there. So we figured out other ways to get it in in other episodes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that – I think because once we wrote the other episodes, we realized we we were using mm-hmm. that later. And so we didn't want to have him really say everything he needed to say to her because it would kind of right. limit what we were trying to do later on. 
Yeah. A lot of that felt like it came out in this stuck together, the first episode of season five. Even though Sadie wasn't in that one, it was just like heart to heart, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yeah, there was a there's a uh, the program we use to write our outlines that lets people drop notes and I was looking at the outline and there's literally a note that's like, please move this to stuck together. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, that's yeah. what happens. It works. Did you guys think that it was tough? You talked about how it's so tense, so it's hard to fit all that stuff in. Like, was it tough writing a hostage, like, stalemate kind of scenario that keeps it tense but doesn't just make it feel boring? Like, oh, if you move, I'll I'll kill this person, but if you move, I'll do this or whatever. Well, the fun thing about this hostage scenario and Topaz is that, you know, all these boardies are stuck inside her body and... Uh, they're just sticking out there, and so th- it's just they don't know how to fight her, you know. And that, mm. I think that's what makes this fun when the gems initially mm-hmm. come upon them, and they're just like, "Oh, we're gonna strike out!" Ooh, don't you know? And Jamie's like, "Don't hit me, Garnet! I swear <laughs> I've changed." That's what made it super fun and tense. Is that uh, just there was physically it was hard to put it, get in a hit, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that's what made that yeah. writing this. Uh, and we were able to use the hostages for comedy. You know, because everyone's stuck or just like they can't talk. And yet, Jamie, so it, it it allowed us to do a lot of different things with, with the trope. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I totally get where you're coming from. Another thing I thought about with this one is that Steven sort of seems to have a bit of like a like a martyr complex. And I, I feel like it sort of comes to a head like you guys talked about. Yeah. Was that like a, a thing that you guys were intending? Like, were you were you wanting to portray it in that way? And does, do you think that ties in like how he views his mom? And his relationship. Yeah, I mean, this is this is all about. I mean, in this episode, yeah, he is guilty of in some way of of causing this, but there's just like this question of how much of his mom's legacy does he need to bear, and you know, how much is Mm. does it transfer to him, which really comes across in the trial more when he's just like giving himself over Mm -hmm. and saying, you know, I'll just accept any punishment. This is just him being like. I think landing, he's like, for this moment, he's landing on, like, I've just got to take everything. I've just got to take on everything. Right. I think, yeah, martyr stories and stories where one character sacrifices themselves for the greater good is, uh, it's like a story, kind of story that we, we, I remember us talking about a lot in the room in general is just like, what do we think about those kind of stories? And um, we wanted to do that story but show how it's kind of wrong and weirdly selfish in a way sometimes Mm -hmm. because like that's where Connie's anger at the end of the episode and then into the next season where she's mad at him is that like you know you think you're doing this but you you know you're helping everyone out but you're really leaving a lot of people behind and a lot of people who have invested a lot in you and and helping you and like you know he he made a promise to Connie that they were going to do this together and they were going to be a team and then he just takes it upon himself and makes this decision without consulting her and um yeah we just want to kind of do that story but then be like well what happens after that after you sacrifice yourself and then like you got to go back to face everybody um is it really the right decision to make is it really uh, you know is it is it going to ultimately solve everything because there's always uh there's never an ending there's always something after so you know we kind of wanted to break down that kind of story a little bit with this. And this is just the first step in, in sort of exploring that. Yeah, I like the way that it subverted the trope of, like, having somebody give himself up and it's like, what a noble sacrifice. But it's like, eh, it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of messed up. I'm the only one who can stop what she started. I can stop all of it. You're wrong. Steven, get down here. She wouldn't have wanted this. 
but I do. There was another thing that was cool about this episode that I think really stuck out, and it was uh, the callback to Marble Madness from that season one, right? I think yeah, that's season one. Was that something you guys? It was. It was the moment when Stephen realizes that he gave the list to uh, Peridot back in the day on accident, and I was just wondering if that was something that you guys anticipated you would do when you were writing that, or if that was just an opportunity that you saw after the fact. It was definitely an after the fact opportunity, but it wasn't like we came up with that and then wrote this episode. I think we had it in our pocket for a while. I think it was something Rebecca came up with. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's it's just one of those, like, again, like, writing is, like, especially with this show, is, like, putting together a puzzle, and you start to have the pieces when you've got the ideas of what you want to do, and then you start realizing how other pieces you already have can fit in, you know, whether they were just ideas for other episodes, and in this case, it was just that we know Paradox Logs somewhere have Stephen listing these people, and, uh, yeah, it was a Rebecca idea of of pulling that back in, and, you know, yeah, definitely when we were writing Marble Madness, we didn't know we were going to totally go to this moment yeah. right but yeah. it, it it worked out it's like oh yeah yeah that, we can put that in there oh, oh geez he's gonna be upset about this <gasps> oh no there's lots of humans there's my dad connie lars and sadie the mailman onion i think the list i gave them the list it's important to you know be flexible and, and be able to have fun with the things that come up as you uh go along and like writing a, a TV show like this, you know, it helps yeah. to have an idea where you're going, but so much of the fun of working on Steven and I think the things that have made it so memorable is that we've allowed ourselves to take very minor things that someone just kind of tossed off in, in, when they were writing an episode and then being like, oh, what if we called that back? And that was so fun and just blowing it out and making it feel so much more connected and, it's, and so organic. Yeah, I think like the thing that we could say is be like, yeah, we planned it all from the start and make ourselves look super smart but i think that yeah if you're if to anyone who wants to you know write in any capacity don't put that pressure on yourself to know everything at the very beginning all at once all the details they all have yeah. to matter like let your story change and evolve and don't put so much pressure on yourself yeah it's it's just something i think for for artists to keep themselves sane who work on these shows because i mean if we if rebecca had come in on day one with like here are 10 seasons of this television show and this is exactly what the 10 seasons are going to be by season two i think we'd be bored because we know everything that's going to happen and there's no invention or, or fun or improv along the way and you know we certainly had an idea of where the show was going to go but just being able to play as we made the show just keeps everyone entertained it keeps it engaging for the people who are making the show, you know, and then it, then that transfers to the episodes and to the audience. Yeah. Right. It's not just play four-dimensional chess at the offset and then... <laughs> we're playing, like... Yeah. We just... We're playing checkers and then we just yeah. threw the board away. <laughs> that makes... Yeah. So another thing that a lot of people really latched onto, it wasn't in this particular episode, it was the episode before, but it was the introduction of uh, Topaz and Aquamarine as characters in the series and they became fan favorites pretty quickly so like what kind of went into like planning for their introduction the ideas for the characters came from rebecca of just having these ideas for these gems and you know this really small sassy powerful one that she initially described as like cartman like yeah like eric cartman (laughs) um you know and then this big quiet one that uh really evokes like my love story uh i forget the guy's name from that but um you know, uh, I think those that was the drawings were up and around. 
Yeah, those dra- those drawings of those specific characters were up for a while before we got to them, and then but then even as far not them specifically, but as far back as season one, we were talking about bringing in gems from 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 homeworld and like oh would what what kind of gem would we like to see oh like a you know like a commando or, or an infiltration unit that like specializes in in like infiltrating uh human society and i think that's sort of where we started with aquamarine of like is she like are they disguising themselves or something but we moved away from that and then the previous episodes that we had where people were getting kidnapped you know sets up this ominous threat and then uh, are you my dad you know comes in and and there's this mystery of just this should we what do we believe this innocent gem you know is all about like is this just another lapis mm. situation? Mm-hmm. Like, does Steven need to help her? Um, she seems really confused. I mean, you know, my dad, maybe someone else is like me. You know, I think that's the fun of of having this twist of Aquamarine, like, be set up as just, oh, gosh, we're, we gotta, we got to yes. save, help this person. And then, like, oh, no, she's going to kill us all. She's just pure evil. Like, it's, it's, yeah, she's cool. It's amazing. I love it. <laughs> she's fine. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Back off, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Just kidding. If I never get sent on another mission to Earth, it'll be too soon. What an ordeal. But the diamonds needed me. That's the burden of being the best. Uh, one thing I, I thought about was she's, like, really strong. Like, it reminded yeah. me of when mm-hmm. Lapis was introduced, when she, you know, just casually raised the whole ocean with the yeah. crack gym. Mm-hmm. We talked about that before. But who do you, who do you think would win in a fight between... Aquamarine and Lapis. Oh boy, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, Aquamarine is t- designed to be one of the elite troops. I mean, that's why Pearl has such a reaction when she finds out that it's an Aquamarine and a Topaz that have been right. sent. These are like the top of the top troops that the Diamonds will use to carry out special missions. And Lapis is um, it's it's been established, and I think in a song that a uh, Lapis is uh, supposed to just be a terraformer. And that's why she controls the water is that when they colonize a planet, they she aids in that. So she's not, mm-hmm. you know, she maybe doesn't have a military mind on her, but she can certainly do a lot of stuff. So uh, I don't know who would win in a fight. I'm going to hedge. I don't know. Yeah, because like, <laughs> maybe we'll you know, see it. like a thing about like, I don't know about powers, but like, you know, Aquamarine would do some pretty underhanded stuff. You know, she probably wouldn't hold back. But Lapis is yeah. this sort of dark anguish that she would, you know, unravel at yeah. her. So that those those two things really. If, if Lapis could survive the underhanded tricks long enough, I think she, her like just boiling gem goth rage would eventually uh, overtake right. uh, Aquamarine. <laughs> yeah, not right. Yeah, yeah. But that's though. purely from like an emotional part of the fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her yeah. her weapon is really fun too. How'd you guys come up with the idea for Topaz's power? Like, and also, do you think that any fusion could potentially do that? Because, I mean, I thought about it and it's like, well, I mean, if they just form their body around, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that was just, that was also a Rebecca concept of Uh the character, you know, with all these bodies sticking out of them. I feel like it must be, I'm not sure if it's specific. I feel like it must be specific to Topaz's or that you have to be pretty, like, some quality of you to be able to hold, sustain a fusion with other people in you. Right. Like, you know? I think that Aquamarine and Stuck Together points out that, like, oh, like, you know, you're that's what I love about you. You're able to just, like, you're able to just do this and it doesn't bother you, even though we learned that Topaz has got some issues. But, um, yeah, it, I guess it's something a gem 
could any gem could physically do when they fuse, but like Topaz is like designed and trained to do that mm-hmm. and to and we you know she learns and adapts like Steven can bust her open with his bubble in one episode, but then she figures out like how to get around that trick in the next one so he can't use it again. Yeah, uh, but yeah, she th- it was just an idea Rebecca had for sure. I think we just knew like oh if we're gonna have people be abducted they're going to need to be held in some way and that was like a very clever body horror way to uh have our imprisoners uh in the scenes with us yeah <laughs> yeah okay cool thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to me again thanks so no much problem. thanks so now it's time to get to more of the questions that you guys have been tweeting at me at mk atwood and to the official cartoon network twitter and storyboard supervisor hillary florido has agreed to help us out with some answers Right, I have with me storyboard supervisor Hillary Florido. Thank you so much for coming back to answer a few more questions. No problem. Yeah, awesome. So first question we have is from Reese, who uh, asks, what scene stands out as the hardest one that you've worked on, and why was it so difficult? And I mean, limited to the ones that have aired, obviously. Yes. So the kind of generic not fun answer is that there's always, there's always one thing in every episode mm. where... Either the actual execution is hard or you're not feeling it. You're just like, oh, I just can't do this this week. But you have to do it that week. So that's difficult. Um, for me, uh, Beach City Drift was a really exciting mm. episode for my for me. And I was very excited to do all the racing. And I was like, I'm just going to take all the racing. Don't worry about it. Like, yeah, I got this part. But that's a lot of the episode um, right. So that was pretty hard. It's a lot, yeah, it's... I did that to myself. So I, I put that one up there. <laughs> but that's kind of on me. Right, right, right. Rather than a consequence of something. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense. So <laughs> yeah. uh, next question is from Alex B9598W. My new password. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they want to know do supervisors get the full power on what to cut? Do storyboarders get priority or you know like just more insight into the the storyboarder uh and then uh supervisor and revisionist relationship so i guess the short answer is kind of yes but when we do pitches there's a lot of conversation um and storyboarders can certainly defend their ideas and we talk through them i mean ultimately whatever is serving the story what is making that narrative in the episode clear is paramount, but the beautiful thing on Steven Universe is is that there is a discussion and that you can discuss it. And yeah. Yeah, so they still have some leeway either way. Yeah, yeah. It is yeah, very yeah. collaborative. But certainly also when the episode reaches animatic and it's overtime, stuff has to get cut. Mm-hmm. So that's a thing that happens too. You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, it's a harsh world. <laughs> uh, next question is from Geek Plant who wants to know what kind of high school and college classes you would recommend for storyboarding. Okay, funny story geek plant. <laughs> I went to college for comic books, which is not Uh-oh. storyboarding. It's close. It has a lot of similarities, but there are tremendous differences as well. And there was a lot of mm-hmm. growing pains learning those differences. I would say, first, there is two types of storyboarding. The one we do on Steven, which is uh, premise-based which means you get kind of a a skeleton play-by-play of what happens in the episode, and then the boarders get it, and they draw and write dialogue. The other way is script-based, which is 
you get a script. So you're not really writing. Right. So I, I've only done premise based, so I can only tell you what's beneficial to that, which would mm-hmm. be, I mean, watching movies, paying attention to camera stuff. It's film. I mean, it's animation, but you're still in the realm of film. Drawing classes, life drawing classes. Makes sense. Which I feel like <laughs> is the tried and true answer that nobody wants. Like, sorry, you just got to go draw some people Yeah. in the real world. I would say also English classes, reading, understanding mm. story, um, storytelling. That's really important because that's part of your job. Right. <laughs> but also, I mean... Really just kind of paying attention and soaking up your surroundings. Because you could take a lot of, like, math classes, and if that's what you're passionate about, you can bring that. That's something no one else has. That's You can bring that in. It makes your story richer if you know more things. Right. Get more experience. It's collaborative, like you said. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, one thing I was thinking about when you said, mentioned the, the film classes, so you, you'd recommend taking classes about, like, live-action film as well as the just tried-and-true animation? Uh, yeah, understanding film, especially camera moves, having a lot, the 180 rule. Mm-hmm. Wait, what, wait, I don't know what that is. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it's, um, it's disorienting. I mean, people use it all the time. It happens. It's not illegal. But <laughs> it is disorienting when <laughs> your camera goes on 180 degrees. So, like, you're looking at right. the opposite, the exact opposite side. Makes sense. It's a, it's a continuity, readability thing. And those sorts of things, are they, they hold no matter what the medium, I guess, right? They're helpful. They're helpful. I mean, they happen often. Yeah. But it's helpful when they're not there. Or if you know <laughs> how to use them to serve a specific point, mm-hmm. to employ them with intent is also beneficial. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me again. Oh, you're very welcome. You still have a little bit more time to submit your questions for the Crooniverse. Tweet them to me at MKAbwood or to the official Cartoon Network Twitter, and remember to use the hashtag StevenUniversePodcast. And be sure to watch Steven Universe on Cartoon Network or the Cartoon Network app. The Steven Universe Podcast is produced by Stacey Perra, Charles Abadje, and Conrad Montgomery. Special thanks to Rob Sorcher, Cartoon Network Studios, The Crooniverse, and Turner Studios. And next week, we close out our special Steven Selects miniseries with a behind-the-scenes look at Off Colors with writers Ben Levin and Matt Burnett. And we'll have Steven Universe creator Rebecca Sugar back to answer some of your questions. So hit subscribe to the Steven Universe podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a five-star rating interview while you're there. I'm Mackenzie Atwood, and I will see you next Thursday.